achieve uh, maximum velocity in life, even while enjoying and experiencing God's peace and, and the scenery, even as you move along the way. Now, with that just little bit of introduction as to what we're going to do in the next four weeks, I want to tell you about something that I have uh, noticed in the two-plus years that Nancy and I have lived here in Texarkana. And what I've noticed is that there are an awful lot of people uh, I see driving around in great big trucks or ATVs or four-wheelers that are absolutely encrusted with mud from top to bottom to front to back. And I've always thought, wow, that really looks cool. In fact, I see one of my neighbors back here, and I, you know, I, I see them. They pull these things up in the front yard when they come back, and they've got power washers out there. And I, I take great delight in seeing that. And, and I thought, man, this really looks cool. And, uh, and I finally asked somebody, uh, what is that? <laughs> what would you do this weekend? And they said, I want mud. <laughs> I want mud. Well, I probably don't need to explain mudding to you, uh, but just in case, that's why I put the picture up there to help you out a bit. It just means that you're out in some field somewhere uh, spinning around in the mud. Now, I don't know why this sounds like fun to me. Uh, my wife probably thinks I'm nuts, but it sounds like fun to me. It, it really does, but I, I, I'll be honest with you, I have not yet tried it, but if anybody wants to take me mudding, line up. But I got to tell you, looking at the picture, there's something and thinking about mudding that has bugged me a little bit, and that's who do you call when you get stuck? I mean, wouldn't a tow truck get stuck too? I, I, I don't know. I mean, who do you call when you're stuck? Well, over the years, there have been times when I've been stuck. There have been times when you've been stuck. There have been times when you have lost momentum and you end up spinning your wheels, spraying who knows what all over everybody. You're revving your engine way up, but you're absolutely not moving. And the harder you try, like some of these guys or gals, I don't know who's in there, you can't tell, the deeper the rut becomes. And in the end, you just have to say, I'm stuck. But I want you to know something. In those times of my life when I have been stuck in a rut, I've learned some lessons about how to uh, get some traction and how to ultimately start inching my way forward again. Now, if you're like most people, I don't really care how old you are, you probably have been stuck in a rut, not knowing where to go, or what to do. Maybe it's the rut of a relationship. Maybe it's the rut of a career or the rut of a business or you're stuck in the rut of a financial problem or some health crisis. I mean, there are times when you see yourself really spinning your wheels, really putting in a lot of effort, but you don't see yourself making any progress whatsoever. Now, these are times when you don't really know what you're going to do next. You don't know which way to turn. You don't know how much to accelerate. You really don't know who that you should call. Now, I want you to know that no matter how long any of you have been in your rut, and today if you're still in a rut, you know those ruts that are 
you know, lower than a snake's belly, those kinds of ruts, that you can get out of those ruts. I don't care whether you're up to your wheel covers or if you're up to the windows or up to the roof. You can begin today to inch yourself out. If you're stuck and you don't know how to proceed, if you have no idea of what right decisions to make in life, I want to say you picked a good day and a good Sunday to come. Because today's message, I think, will hopefully, prayerfully, provide you with some perspective and wisdom for the future and maybe put a little bit of traction under your feet. Now, I know that when I feel overwhelmed, and yes, I feel overwhelmed at times, and I don't know what to do, I have learned in life to ask myself three clarifying questions. Here's clarifying question number one. What would I do if I had no feelings? What would I do if I had no feelings? Now, I ask myself this because feelings are usually the battleground for temptation. I mean, when I don't know what to do, it's generally because there's a really big gap between what I want to do and what I ought to do. I'll give you a couple of examples. I talked to a pastor not long ago who was thinking about leaving the ministry and going back into some secular work. The reason he wanted to leave the ministry was because, as he said, I am fed up, beat up, and run down. Now, he knew that God had placed a call on his life and that God had placed him in the church where he was currently being <laughs> beat up, run down, and fed up. But he got to the point where he didn't want to stay in that church anymore. Working 9 to 5, he actually said, working 9 to 5 is a greeter at Walmart. He says, began to look more and more appealing to me than this job of being a pastor of this church. Dealing with people's problems all the time and dealing with people's criticisms all the time. He said, it just is dreary. He, he, he didn't really want to leave the ministry, but he didn't want to stay either. See, his feelings created an obstacle for him that put him in a rut. I asked him, well, he said, I, I just don't know what I should do. And I, and I asked him this question. I said, if you had no feelings, what would you do? I mean, if life in the corporate world or working at Walmart didn't feel appealing at this moment in time, and if life in the ministry didn't feel so dreadful at this moment, what would you do? He says, wow, if feelings didn't count, I'd stay in the ministry. I'll give you another example. I talked to a woman not long ago whose marriage was on the brink of divorce. She had been separated for her husband, from her husband for some time, and after several months of silence, the husband was actually making what appeared to be a sincere effort at reconciliation. And she told me, you know, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. I don't want my family to fall apart, but I don't want to reconcile with him either. I like my freedom that I'm experiencing, and I want to be able to live my own life. I asked her, you know, if the thought of freedom and the adventure of a new life didn't feel so good, and the thought of getting back into the struggle of working through all of your differences didn't seem so painful or daunting, 
What would you do? In other words, if both options were guaranteed to bring about the same amount of happiness in one year, which decision would you make? And she said, oh, that's easy. If my feelings were not the problem, and I knew I could be happy either way, I would stay with my husband. See, that's the reason I phrased it the way I did. What would I do if I had no feelings? Because the absolute worst criteria for making a decision is to ask yourself, what will make me most happy? That's absolutely the dumbest thing you can ask yourself when you're stuck in a rut. That's because typically we have absolutely no clue what will really make us happy. See, we think that we want out of a difficult marriage and into an exciting new relationship. Or we want to get out of a demanding job to get into an easier job. Or we want to get out of this struggling church so that we can be in this seemingly perfect church. But we don't realize that in the process, we will lose some things that we don't want to lose. And we're going to end up taking on some things that we really don't want to take on. Our feelings have a way of misleading us. Uh, they cause us to look for ways that continue to keep on doing wrong and still feel right about it. I mean, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to keep on doing some things you know are wrong as long as it felt good? I mean, the Bible even says sin is fun for a season. See, that's the temptation of sin. It's a feeling. It's a want. It's a desire. The problem is got news for you. We all have good desires, but we all got bad desires. That's why you need to ask yourself, if I had no feelings at all in this matter, which choice would I make? If both options were guaranteed to bring me the same amount of peace, the same amount of happiness, the same amount of contentment, which choice would I make? If you want to start making the right decisions to get yourself out of that big rut, do yourself a favor and do your best to separate yourself, if only for a moment, from your feelings. Here's the second thing I've learned to ask myself. Question number two, what would I do if I had no baggage? Now, I'm not talking about flying from Little Rock to Minneapolis and your suitcase doesn't show up. What would you do if you had no baggage? What would you do if you had no history? What would you do if you had no past, no guilt, no regrets? I'll tell you about a friend of mine uh, and his 1961 Buick LeSabre. Anybody got one of those yet? 61 Buick LeSabre? Well, he bought it in 1975, I think it was, he told me, for 250 bucks. It's an absolutely beautiful car. It's about 50% chrome. Uh, and so when you wash it and wax it, it really sparkles. But over time, he was telling me it developed two problems. Number one, the heater stopped working. And number two, reverse went out of the transmission as well. Reverse did not work. Now, you can live without a heater, but it's kind of hard to drive a car that will not go into reverse. And yet, he told me, he began to learn to drive with a no backing up mentality. He would not park on a driveway unless it was built on a slope so that in the morning he could release the parking brake and then back his way out into the street. When he was in a store, he always looked for two parking places so that he could pull through. Some of you do that. I do that. So that when you're ready to leave, you just go straight forward. Now, he told me that he made it through almost his entire 
uh, high school years and his senior year in college uh, with, without having to drive backwards, but he said there were a few times he had a girlfriend get out and push, which he would also acknowledge was the reason he did not get married until a little bit later in life. Now, while that's an absolutely terrible way to drive a car, it's not a bad way to live your life. I mean, if you can learn to live without ever going into reverse, you can overcome many of the limitations we put on ourselves. I mean, there are times when we say, you know, I know what I want to do and ought to do, but I have this history of failure. I tried it once. It didn't work. I know people who have failed in business who will never go into business for themselves again because of that ignorant attitude. Sorry for saying that, but that's what it is. I know people who've been through bad relationships and bad marriages who have decided that they will never enter into another relationship or another marriage again. I know people who've had a, such a bad church experience that they bailed out of church and swore off church forever. Well, friends, that's not the right approach. That's the baggage approach. That's the regret approach. The right approach is to ask yourself, what happened? I mean, what went wrong? What can I do differently the next time around? Now, everybody I know has some guilt or some baggage or some regrets along the way. It's inevitable. The reason is because you're human. Look at these two Bible passages here on the screen. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I always check this out. I want to know in the Greek what that word all means. Guess what it means? It means all. That's what it means. All. It does not let the pastor's wife out of it. It does not let the pastor out of it. It doesn't leave Eddie the head usher out of it. It doesn't leave Dennis, the head elder, out of it. It doesn't leave Amber, the acolyte, out of it. Most of all, it doesn't leave Derek out of it. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says no one, no one, there's no one that does not sin. And whenever you got sin, you got guilt, you got regrets, you got remorse, you're tempted to say, man, look what I did back then, I can't do it again. Or Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep. Now, I'm not a farmer by trade, but I know a little something about sheep. They are stupid. They are amazingly dumb animals. And what does God refer to us as over and over in the Bible? If you're going to say, the Lord is my shepherd, you're saying, I'm a stupid sheep. <laughs> We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. If you read the book of Judges sometimes, this came to mind. Before they ever had a king, it said everybody was doing whatever they felt was right in their own mind. They all went their own way. We all got it, folks. We all make mistakes. Some of the mistakes we make, we make intentionally. We also are victimized by the mistakes and the sins of other people. I mean, sometimes we just get blindsided by other people's sin. And this creates baggage, and it has power to cloud your perspective and control your future. And in order to get out of your rut, you need to start asking yourself this question. If I had not failed the last time, and if I wasn't afraid of failing again, what would I do next? 
I just thought about this as a kid. Remember, remember watching little kids grow up? You know, moms, you remember your little kids? The very first time they tried to walk, what did they do? Thud. <laughs> now, what if you were a little kid and says, man, messed that up bad. I'll never try that again. You know, what if the very first time you tried anything, you said, nope, never again. You'd just be a blob laying there. You have to, if I hadn't been hurt the last time and I wasn't afraid of being hurt again, what would I do next? Or if I didn't have this guilt or these regrets of carrying so much baggage, what would I do? We need to allow ourselves the luxury, if you will, of forgetting how painful yesterday was. And your head will clear and you'll develop a fresh, fresh perspective about what's ahead. Here's the third question. What would I do if I had no reputation? You no doubt have heard that it was said that your character is who you really are. Your reputation is merely who people think you are. Now, I'm not going to ask you to describe anybody, but I, I think just like you, I've known people of character who've had questionable reputations. And I've known some people who were rotten through and through that were well thought of in the community and sadly even in the church. See, friends, there are always going to be people who think that they are a better person than you. And there are always people who will think that you are a worse person than you actually are. That's why you need to learn to disregard the opinions of others when you weigh your decisions. Although I heard the other day the guy said, I, I, I'm losing my hearing, which is fine because nobody says much I'm interested in listening to. That's not what this has to do with. But, you know, you, you kind of need to disregard other people's opinions. You need to forget about what other people will be thinking or what other people might say. Again, I, I've known people like you who have taken jobs they didn't want, they have pursued careers they didn't love. Why? Because they were more worried about what mom and dad thought than about doing what they thought was right. I've known people who were afraid to go into business for themselves because they were afraid of how other people would respond if that business failed. And I've known people who were afraid to take the step across the line and commit their lives to Jesus because of what other people would say. See, we need to kind of develop some perspective on how important the opinions of other people are. When it comes to the opinions of other people, we kind of need a, a kind of a detachment that says, so-and-so so -and -so thinks I'm a failure, who cares? So-and-so is happy because I'm having problems, who cares? So-and-so thinks he's better than me, who cares? Now, you cannot allow yourself to make decisions based on what other people think, but here's the balance. I am not, underline that, I am not saying that you should not seek input from other people. You need to seek advice from other people. The Bible is very clear on that. But you need to seek input from godly people, people who understand your faith, people who understand what your relationship with Jesus is all about, people who know your character, people who are committed to you, not from a bunch of people who want to impress you or pacify you. See, when you're struggling with the question, what should I do next, forget about your reputation. 
and forget about what other people are going to say or think or feel. Ask yourself, if no one else in the world could form or express an opinion about my situation or ridicule me or laugh at me or despise me, what would I do? Now, the reason I say you do this is because they're in your inner circle and they're totally committed to you and have earned your trust. Their opinions maybe don't matter. You need to eliminate all of those voices that cloud and compete with the voice of God. Let me give you a few examples. I mean, don't listen to the voice of your desires. Give God the opportunity to speak to you. Don't let the pain of your past tell you what to do. Letting go gives you the ability to listen to God. And don't let the expectations of other people control you. It's not your job to impress other people. It's not your job to pacify other people. It's your job to fulfill God's will in your life. This is going to sound kind of strange, but I remember in my, my first church, some guy came up to me and he says, well, you're the new pastor. And I said, yes, I am. He says, I'm your boss. I pay your check. And I said, oh, nice to meet you, God. <laughs> and he looked at me like, what kind of a rude thing? I said, well, I kind of understand what you're trying to tell me. But I said, I, I, I may either be the pastor of this church, but my boss is God. I'm here to do what God has called me to do. Now, we always hope and pray that you know, what God asks you to do lines up with what God asks a whole bunch of other people to do. I don't think God ever asks people to do opposite things at the same time. See, it's, it's your job to fulfill God's will in your daily life. Ignoring the naysayers makes room for you to listen to the voice of God. Now, with that being said, this message has been pretty light on Scripture up to this point. Maybe some of you are even wondering, when's he going to get around to anything about the Bible? It's intentional. I did it for a reason this morning. Rather than kind of beginning with the text, I wanted to end the message with today's text because I want what God has to say to you from the Bible to kind of reverberate in your mind as you begin to think about the rest of your week or the rest of this month or even the rest of your life. I told you those three questions kind of helped me clarify or clear my head. What they really are doing is helping me uncover God's perspective on the situation. It's not so much WWJD, what would Jesus do, although that's very important, but it is really, what does God have to say to me? When was the last time you just sat back and said, God, you're in charge. What do you have to say to me? And then listen. Listen for that voice. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's always going to be an audible voice, although I can tell you that in my life there have been a couple of different times when I think I heard God say something to me out loud. I looked around. There was no one else there. I'm assuming it was God. God may also speak to you as you do what? Read and study, memorize and meditate and apply the word of God. God may also speak to you very clearly through the words of another godly friend. 
another person who's on the same wavelength as you, someone else who has their faith in Jesus Christ, rock solid, rock secure. See, once you decide you'll no longer listen to your feelings, and you're not going to listen to your past, or you're not going to listen to your, to your need for self-approval, that's when you put yourself into a position where you say, I only want to hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And when you get to the point when you say, don't want to trust my feelings, don't want to listen to my past, don't want to listen to everybody else's opinions, I think what you're going to hear God say to you comes right from today's text. In Psalm 32, verse 8, it says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you, and I will watch over you. There's a good verse to put on a little 3 by 5 card, maybe several 3 by 5 cards, and stick one on the refrigerator. Stick one on the mirror while you're shaving or troweling on the makeup. Or troweling, that's not the word. What do you call that? Yikes. That word slipped out. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking of. Uh, or stick it in the visor of your car or carry it in your shirt pocket or whatever. And all day long, not worrying about my past, not worrying about what other people say. Instead, I will instruct you. That's what God tells me. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. I will watch over you. Friends, I, I, can, I can promise you, I can promise you that God wants to help you stop spinning your wheels. God does not want any of his children stuck in a rut. He wants to help you gain traction. He wants to help you work your way out of a rut. He wants to do this so much that he will guide you through it. But there's a little step in between here, and it really means that you need to have a relationship with God. Now, I have no doubt that if you took my first three points and you were an unbeliever, life would get a little bit better. But I don't know very many of you want life to get just a little bit better. You want life to be great. And guess what? Life becomes great when you attach yourself to God. And the only way to attach yourself to God is through who? Through Jesus. Believe me, I know people like that who've tried to get through in their life. I, I think about that. When Dennis read the text this morning, he says, don't be like a dumb horse or a dumb mule. Did you catch that? Many of you heard me say this before. My grandpa used to say to me a lot, a lot, it's an awful dumb horse that doesn't learn from a beaten. I was about 16 or 17 until I figured out I was that horse. I was just getting beat up time after time after time, and it wasn't until I kind of cleared my head and said, no more. No more. The relationship with God through Jesus has got to become important. And in order to do that, you've got to turn off the noise of destructive influences. It might be cutting loose some friends. It means to turn your ear to his voice and not listen to all the voices that are on television or radio. 
or all kinds of other people. You do that so that Jesus can teach you. I mean, he's the best teacher you will ever have. He will instruct you, and he'll teach you the way in which you can go. He will counsel you. He will watch over you. My life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you have life verses as well. It's a verse that, you know, I committed to memory a long time ago. It's a verse that I often attach to letters that I send out or emails that I send out. It comes from Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Guess what? If your paths are straight, I didn't, it didn't say anything about ruts, did it? It says your path is going to be straight. If you're looking for a way out of the mud, friends, listen to what God has to say. And the way to hear what God has to say is through faith and trust in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would guide us and direct us, that you would help us turn off the noise of destructive influences and turn our ear to you. Teach us the way that we should go. Counsel us and watch over us. Make our paths straight. Help us to stop spinning our wheels, but instead to speed along that road toward heaven that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen.